from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. As you all well know, automakers are under pressure to greatly improve the fuel efficiency of their vehicles and reduce emissions at the same time. And of course, that all comes down to powertrain, which is today's discussion. And I've got three experts in to talk just about that, including Oliver Schmidt from Volkswagen of America, Todd Haynes, the CEO of a company called XL Hybrids, and Chris Thomas from Borg Warner. And it's great to have all three of you here. Oliver, let me start with you. As I look out at what the auto industry is working on, I'm blown away by the variety of powertrains. Mm -hmm. We have the, the, the typical internal combustion engine that runs on gasoline or diesel. We've mm -hmm. got hybrids. We've got plug-ins. We've got electrics. We've got fuel cells coming. We've got CNG and LPG. And my question is, how can the industry possibly market so many different types of powertrains? I think the big problem here is not the industry in total. First, it's the, the uh, sole manufacturer. So first, every manufacturer has to define his own pathway to the future. So you, you basically have to sit down in strategy meetings and decide what you are going to do. So basically, the company I work for, the Volkswagen Group, we defined our strategy. We are going to turbocharge direct injected engines, gasoline and diesel. We will go to plug-in hybrids and we will do electrified vehicles. So this is our strategy. But you're right for the consumer, because you have other companies that go a totally different way that say, no, we, we need big t displacement Atkinson engines. Um, for the consumer, it gets pretty uh, confusing. So this is, this is then for the marketing people, which you don't have here today, but that's for the marketing <laughs> people in the future to determine how to market the advantage of, their, of the system the brand is offering. And we sell directly to commercial fleet customers. So we're actually able to go to the customer and get data around how they're using those vehicles. Mm -hmm. And then we can analyze based on their drive cycle and, and usage requirements, which powertrain is going to be the best fit for them. Now we're focused on selling a, a hybrid electric powertrain. So we're targeting customers where they're going to primarily have good drive cycles uh, for that type of powertrain. But you can expand that capability to identify where it makes sense for a plug-in or where it makes sense for a different type of technology. Mm -hmm. And you sell hybrids to commercial truck companies. So don't you have a somewhat easier time because they're so focused on cost. If you can give them the right numbers, they'll be interested in your product. And with the general public right. buying cars, it's, right. it, it tends to be not always a bit more emotional in how they purchase. Right. We're very focused on reducing the total cost of ownership for our customers. So it is really a financial decision. It's driven by numbers. And that's one of the reasons we can really leverage the data capabilities, which we've built into our platform. So we do have a wireless link to the hybrid system that can collect all that operational data and provide feedback in very real time to the uh, fleet managers. You need to keep in mind that's commercial vehicles on-road, right? Uh, when you talk about commercial vehicle off-road, the, the requirements for, for those uh, customers are quite a bit different. They're all about productivity, mm -hmm. how fast you can plow the field, how fast you can run your combine harvester, uh, and how much you can get done in a day not just uh, the, the, the actual fuel consumption. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of other things that come into it when you start talking about off-road. Chris, let me stick with you for a minute. BorgWarner, of course, is, I think, the largest or certainly one of the largest turbocharger suppliers in the world. Sure. You're heavily involved in all different kinds of transmissions. We'll get into some of that, too. But how does BorgWarner look out at this? In, in so many of the different types of powertrains I mentioned, turbochargers and transmissions play a role. But in some, like electric vehicles, you don't need a turbo. You probably don't even have a transmission in some of them. Same with a fuel cell car. So what's Borg Warner's look over the next five to 10 years as to how the market will develop? Well, I think some of those, those products are, are still high growth markets and we like high growth. 
So on fuel cells, you know, we're developing a fuel cell air supply system, and we've got uh, several uh, different customers we're working with. If you think about a fuel cell, you have to blow air in, right? And, and that's basically a compressor. And then you also have to throttle the, the fuel cell stack so that to, to maintain a pressure across the membrane. Well, rather than throttling it, we put a turbine on the, on the exhaust, and uh, it looks a lot like a turbocharger, except we have a 22-kilowatt 20, electric motor in the center to, to power this in. No, wait a minute. So you're using the exhaust to drive a generator, essentially? No, we, we use the exhaust to drive the compressor, which blows the air in. Because mm -hmm. you have to have a pressure drop across the, mm -hmm. across the, the, the fuel cell stack. Oh, I, I misunderstood. I thought you said you were using some of this power to generate electricity? No, we, we use the, the, it's a single shaft that, that has a, a turbine on one end and a compressor mm -hmm. on the other, just like a turbocharger. Mm -hmm. But we have a 22-kilowatt motor in the center mm -hmm. to actually push the air in. Oh, I see. But, we're, but rather than just throttle and losing the energy coming out of the fuel cell, we, we recover that in a, in a turbine. So, so we're into those. You know, electric vehicles, uh, you know, the original Tesla uh, transmission was uh, Borgwana design. Um, there's, there's other things we've got in, in the pipeline for that uh, type of a, a product. So I think there's, there's opportunities in all of these areas, and, and we're looking at all of them all the time and reassessing you know, where we need to play. Oliver, you mentioned Volkswagen turbocharging, then going to plug-ins and electrics. Uh, a little over a year ago, you let me drive one of your electric cars, an yeah. electric Golf. I thought it was terrific, but electric cars just don't seem to be catching on. Oh, how do you evaluate where this segment may go? So the, the first thing is electric vehicles are driven by the ZEF mandate in California. So, so this is... It's basically not a choice. You're forced to sell those vehicles. And, and depending on wh wh which regulation you are under, if you are a small manufacturer in, or intermediate or whatever, um, you have to sell those vehicles. So um, we I don't want to say we need to sell these vehicles, but we need to sell those vehicles uh, to be compliant in this market. And every manufacturer is, uh, is driven to do so. Um, so then the differentiator that we see in our product is basically, if I look at the electric vehicle market uh, at the moment, it is vehicles that look electric vehicle that sell good. It's, it's two cars that dominate the electric market. It's the Leaf, it's the Tesla. Those cars, if you look at them, they say, I'm in electric vehicle. And um, there will be one day down the road when this becomes mainstream and then people want to experience what they are used to in their electrical vehicle and this is what we try to do uh, with the electric golf first that we want to give the customer the experience of really um, you had a golf before or a jetta or whatever and you get the same feel in the electric vehicle this is our approach to electric vehicles and then of course combined with the drivability of the um, electric vehicle driven by the huge low-end torque Tad, uh, so far, hybrid commercial truck, or I shouldn't say commercial, I should say hybrid trucks haven't really set the world on fire. Mm -hmm. How's it going on the commercial side of the business? Well, the commercial side is much different than the consumer market. Consumers typically drive 10, maybe 15,000 miles per year. They're not using a lot. Yeah, that, even that might be a lot for gl global numbers. That's, they're not using a lot of fuel. Yeah. Uh, commercial trucks or, or tr vans that are driving... 20, 30, even 40,000 miles a year, in some cases 60,000 miles a year, are using a lot of fuel. So if you can create a system that can reduce their fuel consumption uh, and save them money in the process, you can provide a very good payback. One of our customers, uh, Coca-Cola, actually, has done a large rollout at the end of last year and is, is mm. buying more. Uh, they're getting a 3x return on their investment. 
So for them, it's a financial decision. And, and, and that's the kind of uh, product that I think can scale rapidly and have a big impact. Um, but you do have to focus on that uh, half of the market in the commercial world that's driving over 15 or 20,000 miles per year. This is exactly our experience that we have in Europe. In Europe, we have Volkswagen Commercial, we have MAN, uh, we have Scania, and it's really a passenger car or a light-duty truck. There, somebody makes a decision. They want to look good in the vehicle. The vehicle needs to suit them. Commercial vehicles, are a whole fleet is bought by one person based on a financial decision. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it's a totally different uh, mm -hmm. world there that, that we see in those vehicles. Mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. And, and tell your story a little bit because I find it fascinating mm -hmm. that you're not a car manufacturer. You're kind of a supplier, but you supply turnkey hybrid systems that can be put in trucks and vans. Or you tell it, not me. That, that's correct. We make a battery electric system that can get added to a commercial truck either during the production process or on vehicles that are already in the road. It's an electric motor, battery inverter, and everything that's connected you know, to the vehicle and the software and controls. Uh, and that system can then uh, capture energy that's normally wasted in braking, uh, and it reduces fuel consumption by approximately 20%, depending on how the vehicles are used, but that's really the, the target customer. What we've also done is developed a uh, process by which we can get that technology to market very rapidly. There's already uh, upfitters, uh, companies that are modifying these vehicles, putting the shelving packages or the box truck on the back. Uh, they can do the installation. They're already modifying and handling these vehicles, so it's can get to market very quickly. Uh, and we're just kind of in that stage of going from proving the technology works, that the customers see the value, that we provide mm -hmm. good service and good operation. We're, we're uh, well over a million miles now of commercial fleet uh, experience in the last six months with the, with the new rollout. Um, and, and we're getting all the right feedback to start scaling that up into to more real production numbers. Mm -hmm. So let's say I had a, a commercial van and I think, hey, I like what Todd's saying. What would it cost me to convert? And I'll make up a number. I drive 40,000 miles a yep. year. What could I save? Um, so it depends on volume. We're kind of in the eight to 10,000 range, depending on if you're buying one or 100 plus or 250 plus. Eight to 10,000 to convert a truck that's to be the, a hybrid. That's the cost. So about, about eight or 9,000 is really the... Is so you're very competitive with mm -hmm. uh, the people who are converting to run on CNG, compressed natural we're, gas, or propane. We're lower cost than a lot of the CNG uh, solutions that are out there for the same customers that we're, we're selling to. Um, and the payback that the customer at 40 years, if you're doing 40,000 miles a year, you're going to be saving um, uh, over $3,000 per year approximately. Um, so you would get you know, you'd get better than a, a three-year payback uh, yeah. at that level. Can I ask you, how big is your system? What's the, the electric motor? What's the battery capacity? We really designed it around uh, charge rate, so capturing energy normally wasted in braking. It's a 40-kilowatt system, mm -hmm. 1.8-kilowatt-hour battery pack, so it's mm -hmm. a relatively small pack. Yeah. Okay. Batteries are still expensive, and, and the first kilowatt-hour gets you your best economic mm -hmm. benefits, your biggest bang for the buck. So that's why we went with the, the hybrid system. It's, it's about... You know, it's the size of a small suitcase. It's yeah. 90 pounds. It can be installed very easily. Lithium-ion um, or? It's lithium-ion. It's uh, manufactured by uh, Johnson Controls. Mm -hmm. So we worked, uh, we worked jointly with them to get this product customized for our, our application. And, of course, you're putting this on vehicles that are body-on-frame that have all kinds of room under the truck to package plenty, all this. Plenty of room, real-world drive, mounts right to the rear of the transmission. Mm -hmm. uh, the motor adds an additional uh, uh, 220 pound-feet of torque. Um, so it's got a uh, significant boost, and customers that are buying new vehicles can go from a 6-liter down to a 4.8, uh, save some more money up front, about $1,000, $800, and then get some additional fuel savings as well. Oh, very interesting. Chris, I've got to get you into this because, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier how many 
turbochargers Borg Warner works, makes, we're seeing automakers put smaller and smaller engines in their cars and then turbocharging them. Sure. Uh, Ford and uh, has shown us a three-cylinder, one-liter engine. Fiat over in Europe has a two-cylinder engine. My question to you is, how small are these engines going to get? Well, uh, it, really, it, if you look at what's going on in Japan, the, they're going down to the 660cc engines. Uh, but, but the reality is all of the clearances between the, the compressor and the compressor housing, and the turbine and the turbine housing, they're all the same. And as you, you go down in scale, uh, the turbocharger still works, but the efficiency is more challenging. And so those tolerances really become a, a, a lot of the, the, the art and the science in making some of those, those small turbos. So you can go smaller. Um, do, you, do you get the same peak efficiencies? Probably not. Uh, we're, we're still... Uh, still innovating and, and creating uh, new ways of getting there. So. And of course, when you say 660 cc's in Japan, you're talking about the little K cars sure. that they have, which right. uh, would never stand up to any of our crash standards. So in, in no, the they wouldn't, but you, you, I, mean, I think the, the real boundary is how big are the engines, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how big can you really turbocharge, or how small can they go and still turbocharge them? Mm -hmm. And that seems to be about the boundary. Um, about 660 cc. Yeah, I think that that's going much smaller is, is <laughs> not very productive. Hmm. There, there's not a big gain to to do that. No, and even those are challenging, as I say. That the clearances and the tolerances become really an issue. So, and of course, I grew up. I think we all did in an era where a transmission, at least an automatic transmission, typically had three gears. Right. I remember when four was something, then six was phenomenal. Now we're up to nine in some cases. Ten speeds are right around the corner. How many gears can they stuff into a transmission? I get asked this question a lot. Uh, you know, I, th I think the, the answer is until there's no more benefit, right? And so if you, if you go through the numbers and, and look at that, uh, you know, for, for years we said five speeds got 90% of the benefit and then six speeds got a bit more of that benefit. And that we also make improvements in, 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 uh, in the clutches and the, and the mm -hmm. drag losses, which then mean that adding an extra clutch isn't a fuel economy penalty. Mm. And so it, it's, a, it's a, a science of, of a lot of incremental uh, improvements. Is it going to end at uh, 11 or 12 or 13? You know, my, my bet's on 12. I've got, I've got uh, some bets uh, riding on that. But, uh, but isn't it, I, I mean, you said until there's no more benefit. You're talking like an engineer. In some of these cases, these car companies are bragging, yeah, hey, we got more gears than anybody else. And so, I mean, part of it comes down to marketing benefit as well, right? It does, but you still have to be able to use them, and you still have to be able to uh, you know, have seamless shifts between them and, and not have it too busy. Um, mm -hmm. if, you're, if all the time you're, you're shifting, um, that's probably not going to be as an efficient a transmission as one that's actually in gear and with, with the clutches locked up. Mm. You know, as we talk about green cars or mm -hmm. cars that, you know, are alternative energy ones, Oliver, sales just are not keeping pace. I mean, the, the consumer is not playing his and her role in doing this. In fact, we've seen green car sales. I'm talking about hybrids, plug-ins, and yeah. electric cars as a group. We've seen their sales go down in the United States so far have this year. Have you looked at April's numbers? Yes, I have. Gas prices are going up. Yeah. You, you could see over the last month truck sales picking up, picking up, passenger cars going down or um, being at the same level. April sales totally reversed this. Trucks are going down, passenger cars are up by 9%. And you see the same. Uh, last month, we sold the most TDIs ever in a month. 
So at the moment... TDI, what you mean, of course, is diesel engine. It, 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 it's our uh, direct-injected turbocharged diesel engine. And we had the, the, the biggest sales of them uh, in a month ever. And it, that's what I'm getting at. Last so it, for me, it's a function of the gas price. It, it's it's really this four dollar seems to be something of a, a psychological barrier. So if the gas price is below four dollar, it looks like people don't care what they buy. And, and honestly, yeah, an Audi S7 is nicer than an Audi A8 with a three liter TDI. Nobody can argue this, but it all then in the end comes really down to cost of ownership. Then they somehow put their uh, commercial vehicle head on and, and think about it. And this is what we see always with the gas prices. Last year, I remember Toyota announced in the middle of the year they will not meet their Prius sales target because the gas price is below 350. So, so it's it's really a function of the of the gas price. I think in the consumer market, the penetration of customers that are willing to pay more to be green was was hit a long time ago in yeah. 2006, 2000 probably 2005, we yep. hit the kind of 2 to 3% of the market. And that was when there were only a handful of, of, of hybrids available. There weren't even any plug-ins or, or, mm. or electric vehicles available. And um, even though the amount of hybrids and plug-ins have, has increased significantly across the board, there's 30, 40, 50 different options now, that 2 to 3% is still stayed at that level, yeah. kind of going up and down based on fuel prices. So I think the big driver in the longer term for getting more electrification is going to be in the in, in cafe requirements. I mean, the OEMs can hit a lot of the targets in the short term, the next five years, through efficiency and yeah. uh, light weighting and a lot of, uh, uh, call it low-hanging fruit, but eventually, 2025 20, time frame, they're going to have to get uh, some more electrification, I think, in the yeah. core vehicles. But, but I think you're, you, I mean, you're thinking of full hybrids when you're talking about these hybrids. Mm -hmm. That's correct. I, I think the, the big market growth is going to be in the 48-volt mild mm -hmm. hybrids. Yeah. So these will Explain be, those a bit for the audience who may not yeah, know so, what a 48-volt so hybrid is. So a 48-volt mild hybrid basically has a, a belt alternator starter, and it re, has a, a slightly larger battery, and it can recover just enough energy to, 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 to do the regenerative braking and then put it back into the powertrain during accelerations. Um, and you get maybe 80% of the benefit of a full hybrid, but but the added cost is maybe a sixth mm -hmm. or, or even yeah. even less, maybe a seventh uh, it's of the, the total question. cost. It's really the question. Do I make 20% of my fleet full hybrid or do I make 40% of my fleet to no. the 48 volt? And the one big advantage of 48 volt, we see at the moment that the stop-start systems in the U.S., I would say, fail. It's just they fail. If you, if you Fail in what way? Uh, customer acceptance. The people do yeah, not like it. We had BMW doing their their reflash last year when they switched from the last uh, from the always on to the last mode system. So this means when the customer gets in the car, the system used to be on. So now he can decide by a button how the system would like to be. This is what, how we sell the system at the moment. Um, and the big thing there is really the customer being afraid, getting stuck somewhere on an on ramp and the NVH when starting the engine. This is what they don't like. They are sitting there in their car. It feels nice until the moment when the engine is restarting. And, and this is going away with the 48 volt system. Well, mm -hmm. it, it does, but also, I mean, John and I have talked in the past about the about this shake uh, on the restart. And I think what you actually find is there's a pre-ignition occurring in the first cylinder event. And so we've actually gone, we, we actually talked, I think two years ago about this, and we've actually gone off and developed a new product to be able to solve that problem. And so our, our dual lock cam phaser, which has one position for starting hot and one position for starting cold, mm. uh, basically can solve that problem. And so the shakes just go away. 
in the vehicle, basically, well, I should say totally go away, reduced by about 65 or 70 percent. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about back then, too, some automakers seem to do a better job than other yeah, automakers on this. But they make compromises in engine mounts that then, yeah, that's the, the with idle quality compromises and, and, and compromises driving down the road. Yeah, so but, there's, there's but, always... But nevertheless, it's still a function of the... Uh, the, the difference between an electric starter where I turn my engine with 150, maybe 200 RPMs when the engine is warm, and uh, the electric system where I can uh, turn my engine much faster. Sure, 400 RPM. Yeah, 400 RPM, that's double the RPM, and um, it feels much better for the customer. We purposely avoided stop-start to avoid a lot of these problems. Uh, there are fuel-saving opportunities, but our customers, it's really about capturing that energy that's wasted and breaking. Mm -hmm. You're moving 10, 20,000 pounds, accelerating it, and then all that energy gets wasted mm -hmm. or most of it gets wasted in the brakes um, and, and that's really what, what we're targeting but I would agree that the mild approach you can, we can get 80% of the, of the benefits of a, of a full hybrid um, right. with the system that we've developed uh, there are competitors out there with systems that can do electric only driving for you know 10 or 20 miles but if you're driving 100 or even 200 miles a day what do you care if you're doing 10 or 20 miles on electric only plus you, that you, adds a huge battery unbelievable cost I mean you're mm -hmm. talking $50,000 premiums in, in, mm -hmm. in some cases, 30, mm -hmm. you know, in some other cases, some even a full electric, 100,000 plus for, for vehicles that are driving. Uh, and, and even then they can't meet the operational requirements of the customer. They can't, you know, 70, 100 miles a day is, is maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're, you're seeing a lot of things that are heavily subsidized to get them on the road. But, but uh, I would agree that, that the mild approach is, is, uh, the, the has the most financial benefit, most economic. Benefit. I think the other thing, you got to look at the voltage, right? Uh, 60 volts is sort of the, the threshold of where, uh, you know, if something happens, people die above 60 volts, right? And so below 60 volts, all of the connectors can, don't have to be the, the uh, high safety connectors, mm -hmm. and you don't have to have a dedicated ground. So, so all your wiring is cut in half, and all the connectors are conventional mm -hmm. connectors that are already used in, in vehicles today. So, you know, the cost of going from a, a, a 60 volt system to a 70 volt system the, the, the cost basically quadruples. Mm -hmm. So sticking below 60, um, which is what, sort of where that 48 volt uh, you know, nominal voltage is, I think is where the, where the growth's gonna be. Chris, do you see the whole car convert? You know, we've had 12 volts since the mid-1950s, I wanna yeah. say. Do you see the whole car going no. 48? No, I think no. the, if you start thinking about uh, the motors in, uh, that wind your windows up, and uh, a lot of the other you know, low voltage things that are in the vehicle, as well as your charger for your iPhone, all of these things run at 12 volts, right? So you'd have to and, change everything. Well, you'd have to change everything. And that, that's really what stopped the industry switching to 42 volts, you know, 10 years ago or right. so. So I think they, you, you'll end up with two, two uh, voltage board nets on the vehicle and you'll end up with a, a 48 volt and a 12 volt. There's one advantage that you could use on the 48. So everything that has a big and heavy electric motor, like your fence or maybe sure. your uh, windscreen wiper or stuff like this, there you could make use of the 48 right. uh, once it's uh, established and you can downsize those things and then you're back in the light waiting area. Mm -hmm. Oliver, there's been a lot more talk in Europe late, lately about going to 48 volt across the board. What do you hear? What, what can you tell us? Yeah, there, um, there is various systems, and it's, I would say it's, it's mainly driven by suppliers. So I, I, the thing is now I have to mention now others than, than in a new company, but um, there's a very aggressive push, for example, by Valeo. Valeo is promoting their system since, I would say, five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I, I see this coming. We have, if you, I think you had plenty of those discussions. If you look at the regulations regarding fuel economy, Yes, the U.S. is tough, and it's tough because of the fleet composition. So your vehicles here in the U.S. are much bigger than our vehicles in Europe. But if you put it in perspective, the European targets of 95 grams in, in 2020 and then 2025, maybe 70 grams, this is more stringent than uh, the U.S. targets. So um, in order to achieve those targets, you need to do something. And, and we discussed this already before. You can decide, do I do full hybridization on 20% of my fleet or do I do the other one on 40% and it's only, yeah, or 60% and it's only a fifth or sixth of the cost. So it's, I think it's an easy decision. I think we will see these uh, systems coming. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say the other thing too is, you know, I don't think that the, the, the 95 grams in, in 2021 in Europe is, is the end. No, we, uh, and we already talk about 20, uh, sure. 2025, 70 but, grams. And I, and I think by 2030, um, you'll be down, you know. California is talking grams. zero in 2050. So, and one of these days we have to talk to the oil companies about taking the carbon out of the fuel instead of having the car companies try to reduce it on the engine <laughs> side. <laughs> That's just a personal opinion. <laughs> uh, Todd, quick, we're down to the very end here, but I think you get uh, the, the last say in this. Seems to me like you've got the best of both worlds here. You don't have to worry about corporate average fuel economy legislation. You don't have to worry about a ZEV mandate or uh, a CO2 reduction. All you have to do is come up with customers who want to save money. Uh, that's that's correct. Uh, you do have to, you know, get your cost down, offer a product at scale, get uh, pr- production capacity that that can deliver the demands of customers that are that are very demanding. I mean, these are some of the most well-run fleets in, in the world. So you you really have to be able to deliver on the promise in order to get them to to buy. And you know, we've proven we can get that far. It's only taken five years, um, but we we definitely see a great opportunity to start. Uh, uh, scaling up this uh, this business and uh, being a leader in the industry on the commercial vehicle side. I want to thank all three of you for a great conversation here. Obviously, we just scratched the surface. We're going to be doing more shows in the future on Powertrain. But Oliver Schmidt from Volkswagen, Todd Haynes from XL Hybrids, and Chris Thomas from Borg Warner. Thanks so much for having joined me on Autoline this week. Thank, thank you. you. I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. <laughs>